When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Robertson. It is October 3rd, 2021, and last night, Atlanta United was beaten by Montreal 2-1 at Stade Saputo in Canada. The goals were scored first by Jake Mulraney in the 48th minute. Uh, a nice little goal off a very nice pass by uh, Luis. Both were second-half subs. They came on in the first minute, and then three minutes later, uh, Luis gets the ball, mm, I don't know, about 20-something yards away in the middle of the pitch, plays it into some space for Moraney, who was cutting inside. Moraney took it off his right foot, took a touch, and then put it into the right corner. But then Montreal quickly countered with Kyoto in the 49th minute off a mistake by Alan Franco. He stepped out of the back line into the midfield uh, in an attempt to tackle Torres. Did not make that tackle. Torres moved to his right a little bit. Anton Walks shifted over to cover the space that Franco was in as the middle center back. That opened up a gap between uh, Walks and George Bello. Pass was made into that space. Kyoto ran onto it. And then from a, a tight angle, he hit a roofed shot um, kind of over Guzan's left shoulder. It would have been almost impossible for Guzan to stop it. It was a little bit like the Donovan goal a long time ago uh, when he roofed it from a tight angle. And then Kyoto in the 55th minute uh, with a penalty. Again, uh, a mistake by Alan Franco, a giveaway uh, on a long pass. Intercepted by Montreal, who immediately, I think it was uh, Mihalovic, immediately just passed the ball right back, kind of into the space between Franco and Walks. Walks tried to track down uh, Torres. He got the ball with his tackle, um, but the referee ruled he also got the man. I'm a little bit surprised it wasn't reviewed. Uh, But anyway, Kyoto stepped up and buried the penalty in the 55th minute. With that loss, Atlanta United stays on 39 points, and it dropped below the playoff line into eighth with six games remaining. Uh, It's still likely, I think, that Atlanta United is going to make the playoffs. Uh, There's still a bunch of teams bunched up. Atlanta United is only three points away from third place Orlando. And Atlanta United has a very, very favorable schedule coming in with two games against uh, Toronto, two games against Cincinnati, a game against Miami, a game against Red Bull, 
And then the other hard one would be NYCFC. Uh, the only worrying thing for Atlanta United is, uh, you know, it's so much better at home, 8-3-3, three, and three, than on the road, 2-6-6. Six, and six. And in the past three games, it's only scored two goals after the previous three scoring 10 goals. And I wrote a lot about that in a story that I just posted on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. Where the headline is Atlanta United had six games to jumpstart its offense. Uh, or you can find me on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. On Instagram at Douglas David Robertson, or you can subscribe to the uh, hard copy of the newspaper, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Please consider doing that, as well as reading the content provided by everyone else who covers Major League Soccer. So, just looking at a few of the stats from last night's game, Atlanta United had 11 shots, put three on goal. It dominated possession, and I'm going to get into this in a second. Um, but it created just nine chances, and five of those came from Brooks Lennon. So of, of its attacking players going forward, Barco only created one chance. Arahujo created that one chance that resulted in a goal. Joseph Martinez created one chance, but he didn't take a shot. Um, and you kind of expected this when you saw the lineup because – after Martinez and Barco, the only uh, the next leading goal scorer was a center back walks with two. So I thought it was going to be hard for Atlanta United to create some chances, and that proved to be the case. But then, you know, after the game, Pineda talked about, well, we dominated the first half, we dominated the ball, we were pressing high, and all that is true. But to me. There's a little bit of a difference in, you know, dominating possession and creating chances, which leads to wins. Um, it reminds me a little bit of soccer under Heinze and DeBoer, in which, you know, possession is was very much valued. And that's not a bad thing. Possession should be valued. You can't score if you don't have the ball. But you have to shoot when you have the ball. You have to create chances when you have the ball. And Atlanta United is not doing a lot of that. And I broke that down. In that story, um, how many chances it's created, how many expected goals in these past three games compared to the previous three before that. Uh, so please give that a read. So looking at the standings, New England, 65 points, going to win the Supporter Shield. Nashville, 46. Orlando, 42 after a late goal uh, to beat D.C. United down at Exploria I think it's still Exploria Stadium in Central Florida. Uh, D.C. United, 40 points. Montreal, 40 after its win. NYCFC with 39. Philadelphia with 39. Atlanta with 39. Red Bulls with 34. Columbus with 34. Miami with 32. Chicago with 27. Toronto with 22. And Cincinnati with 20 on its way to its third wooden spoon. Its only competitor might be Toronto with 22 or Austin with 25. It won its game to create a little bit of space. Y'all sent me a whole bunch of fantastic questions, and I'm going to start reading them after I take a sip of my coffee. All right. Jazzed up and ready to go. All right. Alex says, I hope you're enjoying your coffee sips. Well, thank you, Alex. I am. Two questions today. Are our home versus road splits a real thing? 
or have we simply played stronger opponents recently? We've seen like two different teams when we play at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in a way, and the results have reflected that. This seems particularly concerning if we can't secure a home playoff game. Now, you are not wrong, Alex. Uh, this team in its history has very much struggled on the road. As I said earlier, it's only got two wins this year. It's 2-6-6 six, and six on the road. And I'm going to look up its all-time road record here for you um, because it is interesting. If I can find it, give me one quick second here. Uh, so Atlanta United's all-time splits. We're reading this from the game notes. Um, if I can find the road games here. Away, Atlanta United is, is respectable. It's 24, 32, and 18 on the road. The problem for Atlanta United is if it doesn't score first on the road, it is 126 and 7. Now, it scored first last night on the road, so it's actually going to be 120. No, 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 I'm sorry. Yeah, it's going to, I'm sorry. When, when scoring first on the road, it's now going to drop to 23, 7, and 7. So I don't know if it's playing on the road or if it's just scoring first and then managing the game. And that was another big topic of conversation last night. Uh, by Pineda, Brooks Lennon, and Jake Mulraney is the need to really manage games once they have a lead. Um, because of those what Pineda described as silly mistakes, uh, they gave up that lead. But again, they, they still weren't creating a lot of chances. And that, to me, is a little bit worrisome, only because we've seen this before under Heinz. We saw it in the final year uh, or the final half a season uh, under DeBoer. And I don't think Pineda liked the question when I asked him about that last night. I don't think Lennon liked the question when I asked him about that last night. But my thinking is, so Miami and Montreal both play kind of packed in defenses, and Atlanta United had trouble breaking them down. They're now going to face teams that, for the most part, uh, other than NYCFC and possibly Red Bulls, don't have anything to play for. So they're either going to come out guns a-blazing, or they're going to pack it in, too, and try to beat Atlanta United on the counter because it is a proven formula for defeating the five stripes. And they've got to figure out a way to do that. And I wrote you know, about that in that story as well. And you've also got to figure out what's going on with Joseph Martinez. He uh, was subbed out uh, because of issues with his hamstring. He, of course, has had recent issues with his knees. So I, I think it likely improbable that he's going to play every minute of the next six games. And if he doesn't play, I mean, they tried Kubo Torres at striker, and it's just, you know, he's a very nice guy, but he just doesn't produce as a striker. Jackson Conway's most recent run out as a starter didn't real the team, I think, won, but it didn't go well for Conway. He um, just, I think, was a little bit too excited. He just needs more game time and, and just to mature a little bit more. He's still a young guy. Uh, I think he can come good. You know, losing Lissandro Lopez a long, long time ago, that was a big, big blow to this team. Uh, but we're going to get to that in a minute. Going on to Alex's second question. I love George Bello and how much he's developed, but his touches and decision-making in the final third of these past few matches have been frustrating. I, I can understand that, Alex. One of the announcers even mentioned the play where Bello should have one time the cross to Joseph for a likely goal. I can remember a few more times recently when he either took too long to move the ball 
or decided to take a shot instead of passing to a more open and season goal scorer. Simply a system symptom of being a younger player still still developing, or should we be more concerned? Um, I, I he's still developing. I also think he has played a ton of minutes. Uh, he might just be kind of getting a little mentally tired, and when you're mentally tired, you start to make mistakes. Um, it's pretty common. The other issue, and this is not symptomatic of Bello, is this team has kind of reverted back to dribbling, dribbling, dribbling a whole lot and not a lot of passing and moving, not a lot of one-touch action, um, which is a way to unlock a bunker defense. It's a way to, to unlock a lot of defenses. But Atlanta United has just kind of become a over-dribbling team. And, you know, I tweeted last night that I think that goal – scored by Bello that was set up by Marcelino Moreno against D.C. United when he dribbled past five guys, may have been one of the worst things to happen to Atlanta United because since then, the passing and moving that worked so well during that three-game stretch where they scored 10 goals has largely disappeared, and everyone is trying to dribble past everybody. Even if it's a group of two defenders, three defenders, four defenders, they're just running into the pack with a ball. It's really, really an odd thing. I don't think there's a causation between that goal and what's happened since, but it's certainly coincidental and odd. Um, so we'll see how much they work on that in these next two weeks before they play at Toronto. So I think Bella's going to be fine. I just think it's a combination of he's probably a little mentally wore out um, and just kind of what's affecting the rest of the team. Uh, next question. Nick says, last night's game seemed very incoherent from back to front, and that's not a sustainable way of playing. How does this get fixed? That's a pretty good way to describe it, Nick. Um, coffee sip. Atlanta United says it controlled the game, and you say it was incoherent. Uh, I think a lot of that is a function of the starters uh, that Pineda put on the field. Um, again, you didn't really, you didn't have Moreno, who I think, think didn't play because his wife is on the verge of, of uh, having a child. So hopefully that goes well for the Morenos. Um, you didn't have a Rahujo in the first half. You had Barco and Joseph, and those were supposed to be your offensive catalysts with Brooks and George on the wings. Atlanta still really needs to get Sosa or Huzetu consistently going uh, on offense uh, with – just some better passes. Um, they don't really crack defenses uh, with their passing. Um, and that's, you know, not always their job, but they got to make an attempt every once in a while. Sosa had one chance created last night. Was that two with none? Um, and even Pineda said after the game, he was hoping that would carry the ball forward a little bit more and attack a little bit more. And that's kind of been the problem with Huzetu since he signed with Atlanta United. You'll get one game where he really does that, and then you'll get a whole bunch of games where it just kind of disappears. So we will see. And so it, it gets fixed, Nick, by just Araujo coming back onto the field, Moreno coming back onto the field, all those guys. Uh, Peto, if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, it's Umberto, but the nickname is Peto, uh, says, first of all, I'm glad your dog Jurgen is not named after Jurgen Dom. Jurgen, he's a nice guy, is Jurgen Dom. Don't don't hate on Jurgen. I know he's not been what everyone thought he was going to be, but unfortunately, that's kind of been the case for him for a while now. 
Um, but again, a really nice guy. Anyway, he says, here's my question. At what point do the front office go and find a top-notch number nine? This offseason, we need a great backup for Joseph for multiple reasons. One is an injury. The other one is what if he never returns to his old self? Well, you know, everyone's looking for <laughs> strikers because <laughs> you can't win if you don't score, and you got to have people that can score. Uh, they thought, as I touched on earlier, they thought they found that guy with Lissandro Lopez, or they thought they found him with Torres last year. That didn't really work out as well as they thought. Then they signed Lissandro Lopez, whose father passed away, and again, condolences to Lopez and his family. So Lopez asked to be out of his contract so he could be near his family, and then a few weeks later, he signed with another team. Um, I don't know what's going on there, but it's true. Um, I think the team is hoping that Jackson Conway is going to develop. They have another guy uh, with Atlanta United 2 who could develop, or a couple of guys with Atlanta United 2 who could develop. But uh, it's hard to find goal scorers. If it were easy, then you know the games would be a whole lot better. Second question, what's going on with Brooks Lennon since the arrival of Pineda? He seems to be a non-factor for the team. I, I don't agree with that at all. Again, Lennon led in chances created. He's probably led in chances created the past three games. Um, and if I remember correctly from the notes, he's one of the team's leading chance creators. Um, I'm going to try to look that up for you real quick. On a quick aside, if you didn't watch Saturday Night Live last night, it was pretty good. Owen Wilson, as always, was pretty funny. I'm trying to find that Brooks Lennon stat for you all real quick. In Johannes Schneider's excellent notes pack. I must have missed it. Uh, anyway, Brooks Lennon has a lot of assists, or a lot of chances created this year. I think he's only second to maybe Marcelino Moreno or third behind those of Barco. Um, so, no, I, I don't agree that he's been a non-factor for the team. Last question, uh, and this, this is a question you all ask all the time. Uh, will Julian Gressel or Franco Escobar ever return to our team? I don't think so. Uh, we keep covering this. Um, the team traded them for a reason. I don't think they're going to bring them back. I don't know, you know why the players would want to come back, considering they couldn't get paid what they wanted, or at least in Gressel's case, the first time about Lane United, why would Lane United pay it now? Uh, Franco Escobar is on loan down in uh, South America and apparently has a toe injury that's going to keep him out for the rest of the season. It continues his unfortunate history of injuries. I don't see him coming back. And the team is, is deep at center back. Uh, even if it sells Miles Robinson, it's deep at center back. I don't think he's coming back. Thanks for your great work, Doug. Time to grow your hair like Trent Grimm. From the Independent. <laughs> oh, I don't think my hair would allow that. I got kind of helmet hair, so to speak. Uh, anyway, coffee sip before we get on to the next question. You might be able to hear my dog Jurgen in the background. We got her a whole bunch of new toys, and she's kind of going crazy right now with them. So Ben in Philly here. Hey Ben. Thanks for answering my question last week. I am an Atlanta United supporter and former Atlanta resident, but relocated back to the Northeast. I try to read as much Jonathan Tannenwald as I can. He's a, the union's beat reporter for the Philadelphia Inquirer, a really nice guy, really talented reporter and writer uh, who just produces a ton of copy. 
and I can and support all those that cover MLS. Thank you, Ben. Appreciate that. Keep up the great work, and thank you again. Uh, ben continues, I don't see Joseph playing too much more this season, or maybe not consecutive matches. So what is Atlanta's best formation going forward when he is not in the lineup? Yeah, that's a really good question, Ben. Um, I don't know yet if I agree or disagree with you, but Joseph's injuries are starting to pile up. Atlanta United needs him to make the playoffs, uh, but they don't want to risk you know, him never being even close to the same player if he keeps playing this season and suffers some sort of other injury that would keep him out of next season. So as we talked about, the backups are Torres and and Conway, and neither of them have really been an answer this season. The other alternative is the false nine, and it worked very well against Orlando, but it did not work at all against Philadelphia. Atlanta United did score one goal last night uh, in the cup for opening minutes with that false nine formation, but then it didn't really uh, – create a whole lot until the very end. So I really don't know. It's you either have to end up playing someone else as a striker. Uh, if you don't want to try Torres and Conway again, but I don't know who that player would be. Uh, you look at Atlanta United's roster, Eric Lopez came in as a striker. Um, and was very much touted uh, by, a few times by President Darren Eels and Carlos Pocanoga. We're going to get to Carlos in a minute. Um, and then Gabriel Heinze decided he was a winger. And so then he started working out at wing. I'll be curious uh, if Pineda trains him in the next two weeks at striker and sees if he can become the backup to Joseph and, and a spot starter just to give him a run out because something's got to be done. So we will see what happens. And Ben says, my local Atlanta coffee go-to was anything from a land of thousand hills in Roswell. Oh, that's interesting. I have, well, I went to Roswell a couple of weeks ago for a funeral. And before that, I hadn't been there in a few years. And Carol told me there's a great little coffee shop called 4 a.m. Roasters. Uh, it used to be this very, very small building just outside of the square. Uh, now it moved to this place called The Mansion. And... Uh, it is a really cool, cool coffee shop. A lot of interesting art, a lot of tables spaced out for COVID, fantastic coffee. Uh, they serve Indian food for lunch. And now that they have a bigger space, they have some uh, live music at night uh, and dinners. Um, anyway, if you're in Carrollton and you've never been to 4 a.m. Roasters, it is uh, in the mansion uh, across the street from Jefferson's. So give them a Give them a try. All right. Adam asks, the drop-off in this team's form when not at full strength is profound. That tells me they need to learn from the top down how to play within themselves when plan A is not an option, which means they need players on the pitch who can lead without being hot-headed. All right. I don't know who exactly you're referring to, Adam, in that, but if you want to email me and tell me, that would be fine. Um Question number one from Adam. Atlanta really struggles when they don't play with a central striker. Okay, yeah, I, I guess that's true. I, I think most teams will probably struggle, but I understand your point. Uh, the movement that got the goal was missing throughout the rest of the half. 
odds we've seen the end of the false nine formation for the season? Well, as we just talked about with the previous question, Adam, I don't know what they are going to do if Joseph needs a rest. Um, you know, again, Torres Conway or maybe Lopez. He's kind of a wild card. Teams wouldn't have a lot of film on him as a striker. So it could be a surprise uh, that Pineda could use. Uh, true or false, Guzan should have stayed big on Kyoto's first goal. I was always hearing the keeper should never give up the near post, and it sure seemed Guzan at the end made the opening bigger instead of smaller. Now, I disagree with you on that. You look at Guzan's form, he was trying to uh, block the five hole. He was trying to block the shot to the opposite post. He had his hand up to try to block the shot uh, to the near post, and Kyoto just roofed it um, and hit it very, very hard. You just don't have time to react in those situations, so I don't I don't put either of those goals on Guzan. And on the penalty, he guessed the right way. Uh, it was just a well-taken penalty. So, no, I don't think Guzan deserves any responsibility on those. Okay, coffee sip before I get to Josh. Who says, enjoy your coffee, sir. Thanks. Tough game tonight. Walks has been solid for us this year, but am I crazy to see him as a liability in both of the Montreal goals tonight? You know what? I thought the same thing, Josh, until I watched the uh, highlights again. And uh, Franco was the guilty party on both those goals, in my opinion. Waltz was trying to cover for Franco's mistakes. And so, you know, on the surface, uh, Waltz looked responsible, but really I think it was more Franco. Um, I have a different type of question. I know it's fashionable to hate on Frank DeBoer, but when I think back on 2019, we really performed well as a club. Uh, without Miggy, Atlanta followed its record-breaking 18 championship season by winning the U.S. Open Cup and becoming the first MLS team to win Campionas Cup, which is the most fun match I've attended, he says. Atlanta set an MLS record for most points for a defending champion. I feel like DeBoer paid a price with fans for not being Tata, <clears throat> but we were one Joseph penalty miss from hosting the MLS final, which seems pretty great to me. What say you? Nope, you are 100% correct. Uh, Darren Eels loves to point out uh, that Frank DeBoer and Tata were two of the winningest coaches uh, in their first two seasons in MLS history. Lots of trophies, three. Frank paid the price, in my opinion, for not for Joseph's injury. <clears throat> in the first game against Nashville in 2020, he couldn't. The team could not overcome that. You're kind of seeing why uh, when Joseph hasn't played for Atlanta United recently. He also was trying to figure out, you know, how to use Barco, who, um, you know, still wasn't producing, statistically anyway. Pitti, who I'm yeah, I'm still puzzled by that signing based upon his lack of production for Atlanta United. Um, and just the roster management. Uh, I've said a couple of times that <clears throat> I don't think that team was as talented as others thought. I thought by the end of the season it was a very talented or was a talented team because I didn't really rate Pitti Martinez's uh, ability to play within a system. Barco, you know, still wasn't producing in, in the past couple of games. He's 
<clears throat> played a little bit like the pre-Olympic Barco form rather than the fantastic player when he came back from the Olympics this year. Um, but he could be tired too. He's played every minute of, I think now the past 10 games, that is a ton, especially for a guy who runs as much as Barco does. Uh, I was a little bit surprised he didn't get a break against Montreal, but then the Marino status probably affected that. So, yeah, I think uh, Frank DeBoer gets a lot of uh, stick. I don't think it's all deserved. I think some of it is deserved. He did have some trouble communicating with the players, uh, his ideas and things like that. But uh, like uh, players need to mature, coaches need to mature, gain experience. It would have been interesting to see how Frank would have done had Joseph uh, been able or Joseph not gotten injured. Um, but we never know. But interesting question. Thank you. Kyle says, enjoy your coffee, sir. I will. Oh, no, I'm sorry. For some reason, I pasted Kyle's question twice. Hey, Selena, we have a female listener asking a question, which is fantastic. Uh, keep them coming. Um, does it landing on work on touch passing impossible plays in practice? Joseph seems to be the only player that is able to touch pass. The rest of the team seems lost. Do they work on plays and forward movement? They play back a ton, which is so frustrating. Um, we don't get to watch all of every practice. We usually get to watch all of one practice, which is thank you to Gonzalo Pineda for that. But, yeah, they do a lot of uh, what are called small-sided games, which is a lot of passing and moving. And, they, I mean, they usually end practices with some of those sessions. So they do work on it a lot. Um, but yeah, for some reason in the past few games, it's, it's gone and I've provided my theory again, not based on any statistical evidence, just a gut feeling of mine. Uh, but they need to do more of it. It's how you unlock, you can unlock bunker defenses or patent defenses with quick passing moving with crosses from wide spaces or with a moment of individual brilliance. Now, that is the lowest probability. The other two are the highest probability, and that's what the team needs to work on, in my opinion. And thank you for that question, Selena. I really appreciate it. Uh, Corbin says, I just found out about your podcast a month ago, and I'm absolutely loving it. Well, thanks, Corbin. My only complaint is that it's not long enough to cover my entire 45-minute drive to work. Well, it might be this time, <laughs> Corbin. Um, he says, I know you slightly touched on this on your last podcast, but how much of an effect do you think Rob Valentino not being there is having on the team's lackluster performances? And if you think it is, should we be concerned, or is this just all growing pains for Pineda? This is like, like my theory about the Moreno dribble against D.C. United. I don't know if not having Valentino on the bench the past – couple of games is uh, causation or coincidence, but Valentino hasn't been there the past three games, and the team has really not played well. Uh, it hasn't really had a lot of fire, a lot of those kind of things. Um, so, again, I think it's more probably coincidence, uh, but Valentino is a very good assistant coach, as evidenced by how he led the team after Heinze was fired. So, 
Uh, and Pineda and growing pains. Uh, yeah, I guess Pineda, you could say, is going through growing pains. I just said that about the board. So I think it's fair uh, to say that of Pineda as well. But he's a smart guy, and I think he's a very good coach. And I think he'll kind of get this figured out. My dogs are now fighting in the background. I apologize. And then last question from Austin. Why didn't Araujo start? Pineda has not played him with the same trust as Valentino. Is there friction there? No, I don't think so. I think he just, you know, he's trying to preserve some people. I'm a little bit surprised, though, because the team is about to take two weeks off that he didn't start. Um, he hasn't really looked the same the past couple of games. Again, after that three-game stretch of 10 goals, he's one of many players who have struggled. Um, so maybe Pineda was just trying to light a fire under him or something. I don't know. Or just giving him a rest. I think he's going to be good. So I don't. I wouldn't worry about that if I were y'all. So that wraps up the questions. There are no more in my email. So now I just again want to say um, congratulations to Carlos Bocanegra uh, for going into the uh, National Soccer Hall of Fame on Saturday in Frisco, Texas. It, uh, you know, I guess it's it, well, I don't guess it's the highest honor uh, for a men's or women's soccer player or coach or developer of the game in our country. I was surprised that Bocanegra didn't get in uh, the first year he was on the ballot because there's not a lot of players that have done as much in soccer as Bocanegra. The knock, I guess you could say, is, well, he never really won a major trophy or, or a, even a, a league title with any teams he was on, but that's not his responsibility. His responsibility was to go out and play well, play hard, and lead, and he did that over and over again. Uh, for everywhere, Fulham to Rangers to uh, teams in France to uh, teams in to a team in Spain to Chicago and and Chivas and MLS to UCLA. Um, I wrote a really long story about Bocanegra going into his background and and everything and. Uh, not too many of y'all read it, uh, looking at the metrics. Uh, so that was a little disappointing considering the work, but that's, you know, okay, you read what you want to read. And I'll learn from that. Um, but anyway, I wanted to thank Carlos. Uh, if you haven't watched the video posted by the Hall of Fame of Bocanegra's daughter, she read a really cute poem uh, on the podium with, with Bocanegra and his son standing there. Uh, give it a, a watch. It's only a few seconds long. If you want to, um, I know some of you have mixed feelings about Bocanegra, but you know this is an honor that should be respected and should be, you know, yeah, yeah. In my opinion, y'all should react better than a couple of y'all reacted uh, the other day uh, to my tweet about the about Bocanegra going into the Hall of Fame. Anyway. So Atlanta United, again, won't play until uh, it goes to Toronto, which has not been a great place for Atlanta United in the first few seasons. Another beautiful city. If you haven't been, I've been a couple of times. I really still have yet to be able to spend a whole lot of time exploring the city. But um, if you get a chance to go, I always encourage people to travel. And I hope you're well on this, what looks like it's going to be a rainy Sunday, unfortunately. Please get vaccinated. Uh, <clears throat> next week, I'm going to do 
my ranking of Joseph Martinez best goals. Sam Jones just did one. Uh, great minds thinking alike. I texted my boss that night after he scored that goal against Miami that I wanted to do that for this week, knowing that uh, Atlanta didn't have a game. There likely wouldn't be availability. So please look for that. It's probably going to be Tuesday for Wednesday. I'll post that. We'll see what kind of availability U.S. soccer has. Miles Robinson and George Bellow have, of course, been called up to the U.S. men's national team. Uh, Ronald Hernandez has been called up to the Venezuelan national team. Joseph Martinez turned down a call up to the Venezuelan national team because he said he needs to focus on his health, and that's totally understandable in my opinion. Um, and so uh, just keep uh, you know looking for content. Please keep clicking and sharing. Please follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. I hope you and your family are safe. And y'all take care. Atlanta United 2-1 loss at Montreal. This has been another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.